start a three-week series on how church works. How is church supposed to work? Now, it might not seem a very exciting topic uh, to be looking at, but I think it's a very important one. Uh, The cause of the gospel in a city, according to the New Testament, is directly linked to the appointment of biblical leadership structures. And as members, uh, we can either encourage uh, spiritual leadership and promote joy and growth in our church, or we can actually discourage leaders and uh, make it a great burden that chokes uh, the growth of a church. And so it's important that we consider uh, this topic and what the Bible has to say. There's two particular reasons uh, for focusing on it uh, at the moment. One is that uh, every five years we go through a process of um, uh, voting on a new leadership team, elders and deacons, and 2015 is that year, and so I thought it would be useful to uh, go over what the Bible has to say on the topic. Uh, But also, uh, over the last few years, I've been aware uh, that people have expressed different and even contradictory views of the role of elders and deacons and members. And it seems to me a lack of biblical clarity is a recipe for frustration and tension. And so I think it's good to kind of get, go back to basics, see what the Bible has to say, and be clear uh, uh, where the Bible is clear, and recognize too that there's freedom uh, in, in, where, where the Bible gives us freedom. So that's, the, that's my hope and prayer. Uh, that this three-week series will, will help us uh, as we uh, move forward as a church. Now, I want to do a little book plug. The book of the month is uh, Bible-Centered Church. Uh, Keith Ever, the eye on a deal, says, Shop price £7, book room price £5.50. Ooh. I think we could do with that extra £1.50 there. So uh, I don't know how many copies we have of this. Uh, but if we run out, uh, they can certainly order up some more. And this is a book that the elders and deacons read over Christmas and New Year. Uh, we met uh, a couple of weeks ago, or, and we discussed this book together. And it shaped our, our thinking, and it will shape our thinking as a church. So if you're interested to see what we have been uh, studying and thinking of through, uh, why don't you get hold of that book? It's not, a, it's not a big secret. You can get involved with that. So let me ask this question. Who should be in charge of the church? Who should be in charge of the church? Who has authority over the church? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And you'll find that on page 1,220. First Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> page 1,220. Let's read these uh, first uh, five verses. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, 
as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Two crucial words in there as we think about who's in charge of the church. What are the two most important words in the the passage? Let me just check your brains are working. We've just read it. Oh, tension. Two crucial words. Chief shepherd. Do you see that? Chief shepherd. Christians are described here as the people of God. uh, And uh, verse 2, as God's flock. The people of God as God's flock. And there in verse 2, he... The Apostle Peter does command the elders of the church to be shepherds of God's flock. But it's vital for us as elders and members to always recognize that elders are under shepherds. Jesus Christ is the, he's the chief shepherd. Uh, Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. He is the chief shepherd. And in a number of places in scripture, uh, it describes us as human beings Uh, like sheep going astray. And uh, Liam quoted earlier in the service uh, this crucial understanding. If you turn back to chapter 2 and verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus is the chief shepherd who sought after us, lost sheep, and brought us together in one flock under his watchful care. And the reason that there is a Christian church is because Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep in his death upon the cross. And he raised it up again in his resurrection to be the king who shepherds God's blood-bought people. So who's in charge of the church? Who has authority over the church? Well, the answer is simply the Lord Jesus Christ does. Jesus rules. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse uh, 17 to 18 says this of Christ. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. The Bible's pretty clear about that. But I suppose a really useful question to ask is, well, how does Jesus exercise this rule over the church? And the answer I want to give this morning and then back it up from the Bible is this answer. Jesus rules by his word through his gifted, spirit-called, qualified elders. Jesus rules by his word through his gifted, spirit-called, qualified elders. And I want to show you that from the Bible this morning. Um, think about this first part. Jesus rules by his words. Just think about the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, famous. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples. 
It is Christ's authority that sends out the apostles to make disciples of all nations. And it is his instruction that tells us that we should uh, baptize people as, as we did last Sunday. We saw those five people getting baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it is because of the authority of Christ that we are uh, called to teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Uh, Jesus rules by his words. Uh, as the apostles uh, obey, obeyed the Lord Jesus by going out and uh, preaching the gospel, what happened? Well, people believed. People repented of their sin. They put their trust in Jesus and they showed that by getting baptized. What are churches? Well, churches are not buildings, are they? Churches are gathered congregation of baptized people who uh, together seek to learn and obey all that Jesus has commanded. Uh, they're a group of people who gather together in order to submit themselves under God's word, under the Bible. This is how Jesus rules his people as we submit to God's words. We're not to be ruled in the church by the queen. Um, uh, that's kind of an anomaly of church history. Um, not by the pope, not by a general assembly, uh, not by a synod of bishops, not by traditions, not by the agenda of the world, but by the Lord Jesus Christ who governs us by his words. And so what does this mean practically? Well, it means this, that the word of God, the Bible, must be central to everything we do as a church for Jesus to rule over the church. Now, the word of God must be our supreme authority in this congregation, uh, in our elders' meetings, uh, in our teaching, in our lives, uh, as we determine our practice, our goals, our values, and our agenda. It is God's word that is supremely authoritative over everything that we do. You see, we are not free to make up what we think the Christian life should be like. We're not free to change what the Bible has to say just to fit into whatever the current cultural value we find around us, uh, just to make our message more acceptable uh, to modern-day sensibilities. Uh, there's been huge cultural pressures from feminism uh, to say that there's absolutely no difference between men and women. There's no difference in their roles. And so that's shifted some churches to adopt women elders and pastors. Now those same churches have, who've changed their historic positions are now uh, under growing pressure to conform to the agenda of the LGBT community and to say that those engaged in same-sex relationships should be allowed to become elders and, and ministers and pastors of churches. And the talk, as I listen to it, uh, goes something like this. It's time for churches and their leaders to finally uh, become culturally relevant, to get on the right side of history. I'm sure you've heard this sort of language. And often the motive can be quite good. It's, it's one to desire to connect with non-Christians, not to put anything in the way of people hearing the gospel. But you know, our agenda, our sexual ethics, the way that we order our church life is not to be set by the values of the world but by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we submit under his words, as we allow the Bible to govern 
uh, us to be our supreme authority, as we say in our doctrinal statement that all members sign up to. So the Bible says that the Christian church is to be Jesus ruled by his words. But it also says that we are to be elder led. Um, Jesus rules by his word through his gifted spirit called qualified elders. So let's think about those different words there. Um, if you look back at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, we see there in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Back to verse 1, P Peter the apostle is, is talking to the elders, to the elders among you. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. There is a delegated authority given to some men to care for God's flock. Men who lead by teaching God's word and by the example of their lives. And while we're here in 1 Peter, let's note that the pattern of leadership shown by Jesus, the, the servant king, is the pattern of servant leadership expected of its elders. Back to verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. See that service language? Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Christian leadership is not about being coercive or domineering. It's by patient, loving example elders are called to serve by overseeing everything in the life of the church now there's different terms in the new testament used for this one leadership role you've got the term elder which comes from a jewish uh, understanding as one who's respected as a leader amongst his community and then you've got this language of shepherds um, from which we get the the linked word pastors uh, the pastor word is a, is a shepherding word King David started as a shepherd of sheep and God took him as a shepherd of sheep to make him a shepherd of his flock, the nation of Israel. And this word picture is used right the way through Scripture. It's even used of God, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Another term is overseer. And some of the older translations even translate the word overseer as bishop. Uh, it comes from a Greek background. It means one who has stewardship over resources and people. And it contains all the ideas of, of managing and management. And the important thing to understand is that all these words are interchangeably used for the same task of leadership in the church. So we've just read in 1 Peter 5 there, haven't we, uh, that he's speak, speaking to the elders. He says, be shepherds, that they are overseers. And the same in Titus chapter 1. Titus is to appoint elders in every town uh, where there is a church as those who are overseers of the church. Uh, in Acts 20, Paul calls the elders of the church in Ephesus to him. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. So elder, shepherd, overseer, uh, stroke bishop. These are synonymous terms for exactly the same office of leadership in the church. And this is, how, this is God's plan of how a church should be governed. Jesus rules by his word uh, through, well, let's think about gifted 
elders. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll find this on page 1175. 1175. Ephesians chapter 4. And the context is that Paul, in this amazing epistle, describes the church as God's great design to display his glory in the universe as people from all nations come to faith in Jesus and submit to the rule of Jesus. And in chapter 4, he urges the church in Ephesus to work hard to maintain this fundamental unity that we have in Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what's one of the reasons for this important unity? Well, it's spelt out in uh, verses 11 to 12. It's because the church needs to be equipped by men gifted by Christ. Uh, look at verse 11. It was he, meaning the ascended Christ, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why does he give these men gifted by speaking God's word. Well, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. At the time that Paul was writing, all those word offices were present, but now that the foundation has been laid, we don't have an apostles and prophets anymore. But praise God, we do have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Men gifted to speak the word of God. And if I um, focus in on um, pastors for the moment, remember that word pastor, that shepherd word is synonymous with, with elder. Um, the risen, ascended Christ, the gift that he gives to the church are pastors, teachers, evangelists who will equip all the members of the church to engage in the different activities that help the church to grow into Christian maturity and into Christ-likeness. The elders and pastors prepare God's people to be engaged in this growing word ministry that develops a growing, loving church. Look at verse 15 of that chapter. Instead speaking the truth in love we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work so as elders seek to spiritually care for the church what's their primary focus well, their primary focus is to see a growing maturity and unity in the church in truth and love. Now, one of the misunderstandings that came out of uh, recent discussions uh, as a membership was the thought that elders were only really doing their job if they were always visiting individual members. And certainly I've been told um, in recent months that I should visit every member twice a year which would actually fill my diary with over a thousand appointments 
Uh, that's before I would ever open my Bible. But as we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, the pastors are not the ones who are supposed to do all the work of care within the church. It's in fact the responsibility of the whole membership to engage in this mutual ministry, this speaking uh, the truth in love together. And the role of elders is to equip the saints and ensure that this discipling maturity is happening in the church. Let's take a little digression to to Acts chapter 6. We see that focus of the apostles in Acts chapter 6. As the church grew in the early days, tensions developed because some of the widows believed that they were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And the apostles uh, didn't say, well, that's not their job. What they did do is that they called the disciples together to point out that if they were drawn to deal with this specific problem, then uh, they would get sidetracked from the central task of the ministry of word and prayer. And so they asked the church to pick spirit-filled wise men to take responsibility uh, for this practical need of the widows. It was the elders' uh, duty to care for the church, but they delegated this specific responsibility to be able to maintain their focus on the necessary word ministry. And what was the outcome? Well, the result was a great result. Uh, The result of their leadership choices was uh, restored unity and peace in the church, uh, practical care for the flock, and it says the word of God continued to spread in its influence. Now, as I've heard people speak about pastoral care at Charlotte Chapel, it often seems to me that what people mean when they're referring to it boils down to something like this. Who's going to visit me when I'm sick or in hospital? Who's going to help me get home? Who's going to, uh, who's going to help provide meals to get me back on my feet? And uh, if that's what we mean by pastoral care, then we need to recognize that actually that's more sounding like the diaconal work of the widows in Acts chapter 6 than the work of equipping the saints for the work of ministry in Ephesians chapter 4. And the central focus of the elders should be to help people make progress in their faith through the ministry of the word uh, in such a way that disciples and equips the whole church. As Paul says, to proclaim Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And that's why uh, we presented to the members a proposal to have a, a smaller eldership where each elder had a particular focus on this discipleship process to help people love God, grow together in Christ's likeness, to serve Christ with their gifts, and then to go and make disciples of others who will love, grow, serve, and go. And, and yet, if we require elders to do the role, essentially, of, of deacons or of the wider membership, we're actually hampering the elders from focusing on the biblical priorities that the Word gives us of this Word ministry that equips uh, the church to grow in its mission and maturity. So Jesus rules by His Word through His gifted, and I want to go into the next phrase, Spirit-called Elders, So turn with Act, to me to Acts 20, Acts chapter 20. I'm aware that I'm trying to pack a lot in. 
Acts chapter 20. You'll find this on page 1117. Page 1117, Acts chapter 20. And uh, the Apostle Paul has called the Ephesian elders to him to give some parting words. He says he's not going to see them again. And the central charge there is in verse 28, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Do you see how precious the church is to God? But notice too, who makes overseers or elders according to the New Testament? Do you see that the church does not create them by mere action of voting them into the position? Um, elders are appointed by the Holy Spirit. Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So our role really as elders and members is to actually identify within our church those who are already functioning as pastors and elders in the church. And so at some stage over the coming months, we're going to have a process of uh, asking the church to nominate those that they see functioning as elders in the church. Who should you be nominating? Well, you should be nominating those who are already evidencing, gifting, uh, and the work of the Spirit in their lives because you see them discipling others in the congregation. You should nominate those who are able to teach the scriptures. Not necessarily that they could stand up and preach, but they can teach in small groups. They can teach the Bible one-to-one. When, you, when, you, when you're in a Bible study with them, you learn from them because they can teach the scriptures. And, and you're looking for people who show an evident spiritual care for people's souls. These are the people that you should be uh, nominating as potential elders. So Jesus rules by his word through his gifted, spirit-called, qualified elders. Uh, there's two Bible passages we could look at that speak of the qualifications for elders. They're in the pastoral epistles. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's take time to read um, the seven verses and note with me uh, what the notice what's not there and what what is there uh, for these uh, qualifications for elders. One Timothy chapter three verse one. You find that on page one one nine two. Here is a trustworthy saying: If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. You must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that you will not fall into disgrace and to the devil's trap. Turn over to Titus, a few uh, pages over. You go through 2 Timothy into the book of Titus, page 1198. 
And again, listen to these qualities from verse 5 to 9 of chapter 1. Paul says to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, you've probably watched what Lord Sugar looks for in an apprentice and the qualities he's looking for. I, I think it's quite a different list here, isn't it? Um, notice what's not on the list. It's not about how much wealth you have. It's not about how intellectually gifted you are. It's not about whether you've gone to the right schools or have got a hilarious personality. Actually, the, the qualities that are looked for in Christian leadership are essentially the ability to teach because Jesus Christ rules by his word and godliness a, a, a life that is a commendable life uh, and actually when you think about it we're, 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 it's not a super high standard it's, we're looking for someone who doesn't get drunk all the time we're looking for someone who doesn't beat up his wife who's, who's not violent uh, we're looking for someone who's trustworthy someone who's of good reputation in the community, who's hospitable. With the exception of this ability to teach, you know what? Every other characteristic in, mentioned here is expected of every single Christian. It's not like, well, I'm not a leader, so I can go out and be violent as, as a Christian. No. These are qualities that are expected of all Christians, but they're especially expected of the leaders who are, in a sense, by their lives to set an example. In a sense, as people... Uh, decide, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? In a sense, they should be able to look at the leadership, to look at the elders and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's what it's like to be a Christian. Titus is told that really he needs to appoint godly elders who've got a grip on God's truth. These are the two key characteristics. A good grasp of the truth, able to teach it and refute error, and a godliness of life where they live out the teachings of Scripture. And so I would ask the church to be prayerfully considering who you see within our church functioning as elders in this way. Um, it's vitally important for the health of our congregation to recognize those qualified men that Christ has gifted and called to be leaders over our congregation. And the reason for that is spelt out most clearly in Hebrews chapter uh, 13. So turn, if you're in Titus, just turn a few more pages and you'll be in Hebrews. Turn to chapter 13, that's page 1212. And in verse 7 of chapter 13, we see this example aspect of the job. And of the teaching aspect. Remember your leaders. Who were the leaders? Whether those who spoke the word of God to you. Remember your leaders who spoke 
the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. See these two crucial aspects of leadership? Speaking the word of God and lives that are an example. And it says imitate. Imitate their way of life. Imitate their faith. And then turn to uh, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. The chief shepherd will ask the shepherds how they got on with caring for his flock. And uh, First Peter encourages us, there's a great reward for those who do the job well. But there is an accountability, and it's an accountability to the Lord in how we do it. Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. So let me ask you, what is, what is your attitude? What is our attitude to leadership in the church? Is it thankfulness, gratitude, uh, that Christ has, has, has given us uh, gifted men who are qualified and are there to lead? Are we, are we thankful to God? Are we keen to follow the lead of men who are seeking to be faithful to God's word? Are, are we a joy to lead? Uh, when, uh, when we turn up to the small group, is the, is the elder going, oh, so glad they're here? Are they going, oh, no. Not again. In the members' meeting, when the person clears his throat to speak, are, are the elders going, oh, this will be encouraging? Or are they going to go, oh, no. Okay, let's be civil. Let's see how we can help. Are we a joy to lead? Or is our attitude one of distrust, of muttering, of resistance? Well, the writer of the Hebrews says, there's no advantage or benefit to the church where the latter attitude is more prominent than the former. Uh, when proposals are true to the Bible and what is proposed is a matter of freedom, I think our default position as members ought to be to submit to the authority of the elders. Um, search the scriptures to see if it is so. Uh, the Bible says, who rules the church? Well, Jesus rules. How does he rule? Was Jesus ruled elder-led? Jesus rules by his word through his gifted, spirit-called, qualified elders. Over the next few weeks, we're basically I'm going to try and teach the Bible's pattern is this. Jesus rules, elders lead, uh, deacons serve, and members uh, hold the leadership accountable. Jesus ruled, elder-led, diaconally served, member accountable. That's how church works. So next week, we're going to think about the role of deacons. The week after, the role of members. And uh, if you have any questions, please get in touch with me or one of the elders, and we'll try and answer them as we think about what the Bible has to say and as we think about how we work out these principles in the life of our church. Show me a church which is led by godly elders who submit themselves under God's word, who courageously lead God's people by teaching the scriptures and equipping the saints. And there you'll have a healthy, 
united, growing church that glorifies God by making disciples of all nations. Um, that's what we